Hello and welcome to the Herbicane Podcast. My name is Simon Osmo and I'm a former UK police detective turned entrepreneur and mindset coach. And on this podcast, I talk with impactful individuals from around the world who have navigated a life pivot, found themselves for a self-discovery to find that thing that we've all been looking for, a happy and fulfilled life. So the excuses are over, my friend. It's time to change our thinking so we can change our lives and come join me as we dive into this week's conversation to learn how they became, who they became. So on this week's episode of the Who Became podcast, I'm talking to Shima Babs. Now, this is an incredible story of believing in yourself and overcoming And I'll start by saying that Shima is an 18-year Navy vet and she's about to make that difficult life transition to the civilian life. She's going to retire in less than two years. And she's also in the final stages of publicizing her first book on leadership. And believe me, after 18 years in the service, she has some incredible wisdom and knowledge to share with you about leadership. It was an incredible conversation. It really was. Uh, But Shima's journey didn't start off in a positive light. She's going to share about her upbringing in Patterson, New Jersey, how she was raised around drugs, alcohol, poverty, her mother dying when she was 17 years old. She considered Patterson, New Jersey to be a trap and she knew that she had to get out. So there is so much packed within this episode. It is really going to inspire you. It's going to motivate you. And it's a real strong story of overcoming and believing in your own ability. So if you're ready for this week's episode, let's dive into my conversation with Shima Babs. Rashima, I'm really excited for this conversation. It's not every day I get to spend some time with someone who's been in the Navy and served her country so gallantly. So really excited for this. And I know that you spent, well, you've currently spent 18 years in the Navy and you're getting ready to transition. You're 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 in the countdown mode, right? You've got less than three years to go. Yep, I am definitely in that countdown mode. (laughs) And you're currently, and I don't know what this is, you can educate me, and maybe there could be some of my European listeners as well surrounding your title. So you're Chief Yeoman in the Navy. So let's start there. Tell us about uh, what you do in in the Navy. So as you said, I've been in the Navy 18 years, and the whole time I have been what they call a yeoman. And yeoman in the civilian sector is equivalent to being human resources. I am an administrative officer or manager. I manage the administrative office for the different commands that I go to. I generally have about, I've worked with as little as about two people, all the way up to about 10 individuals who work under my charge to support from as small as 250 personnel, all the way up to 600 plus personnel. And that is a mixture of military personnel, civilian personnel, as well as contractors. And so you have quite a great depth of responsibility hanging yes. over you to, to make sure everything runs, runs smoothly. And I know when me and you, you were talking offline, I know that you're, um, you lost your mum age 17 uh, and your upbringing wasn't that easy. You know, the, the area that you grew up in 
people weren't expected to necessarily finish school and it was quite tough. So maybe I'd love to sort of really go back to the beginning of your journey and to learn a little bit about some of the challenges that you faced in your, your childhood. No problem. So as you said, I grew up in was Patterson, New Jersey. And if you know anything about Patterson, New Jersey, you know it's not necessarily the best location to grow up in. It is very it's very nice much good. um, I grew up around a lot of poverty, a lot of drugs, alcohol abuse, all those types of things. And when I was in elementary school going into high school, there were a couple of people who I I went to elementary school that didn't make it through high school because they ended up getting caught up in the drugs and selling and everything like that. And it just was, I consider Patterson to be a trap. I love my home. I love that that's where I'm from. But at the same time, I think it is a trap for those of us who aren't able to get out. I was fortunately able to get out because of my education. I was very, very book smart. And that was what first helped me kind of remove myself from the trappings of where I was growing up. Whereas a lot of the people I went to elementary school, when they got to high school, they got mixed up with the wrong crowds. They also, a lot of the females ended up pregnant at an early age. I wasn't, I was kind of sheltered from that just because of my ability to go to a school outside of my local area. That said, I still came home every day to that same area. And I still had friends that were in those lifestyles. And it was very easy sometimes to want to be a part of that and be involved with that, especially when everybody that you know is in it. And my family, uh, God loves them, but they were kind of stuck in in Patterson. Some of them are still stuck there to this day. And I just had the opportunity that I took to get out of there. And as soon as I was able to go to college, I left. It was a hard time when I left for college because that's when my mom passed. Passed away in my senior year. And I still, to this day, I tell anybody, I don't know how I graduated high school because I completely just disconnected with everything. And that was a prime time for me to start failing and going down the wrong path, which I kind of did. And it continued a little bit when I was in college. It wasn't until I joined the military that I kind of shaped up and got more disciplined to who I am today. And I know when we spoke offline, you said that there wasn't necessarily too much expectation in this sort of type of town that you grew up in. You mentioned a lot of people stay there and stuff. Um, It's sort of interesting to get your perspective as to, I know you said that you were book smart, but how did you sort of break that mold? Um, Sort of what... What was different about you that you could say, I want more than this? You know, college is an option for me when college for so many in disadvantaged sort of towns and families isn't an option. Sort of what was, uh, what was different about you, Shima? I had this teacher. <laughs> I, I accredited a lot of who I ended up becoming to one mom, mom and my grandma. My grandmother raised me. And my mother was the brain in the family. That's what she was considered. So I got a lot of that from her. But I had my fourth grade teacher, Mrs. Donna Krieger. I still love her to this day. You still remember as well. Fourth grade, because that's young. Yes. 
she was the first person to ever uh, shut me down. <laughs> and she, uh, remember, she gave me a non-passing grade in one of my classes, and she pulled me to the side. She was like, look, you've got a lot in you. You got a lot of talent in you. You got a lot of smarts in you. But if you don't ship up, like shape up and get it together, you're going to be just like everybody else that's around here. And you're not going to go anywhere. And she pushed me to be even greater than I even recognized at, at just fourth grade. I mean, with her, I was able to go into programs for get, being gifted and talented because of her push up. I started to strive even more when it came to my academics. And because of her, I was put into the program that allowed me to go to a high school that was more prestigious and out of the, the realm of what I grew up in. So I, I attest to my, my grandmother, my mother, and Mrs. Krieger. And what I like about Mrs. Krieger, if I'm saying her name right, my exact accent is that I think every story seems to have a Mrs. Krieger. You know, for, for me, it was a guy called Melvin Young that saw something in me that I didn't see in myself. And I think that's really important in our lives, isn't it? Where there's quite often this turning point where someone does give us the reality check to say, hey, you know, you can, you can do more here than maybe what people expect you to do. You can amount to something, but you've got to apply yourself in the right, right lines. So I think everyone yeah. listening to this is most probably thinking of a Mrs. Krieger in their, in their lives. It's really cool. And, and, and here's an interesting thing as well. From, this is the same in the UK as what it is here in the US as well. But you do find that those that go into the services, and I don't want to tar everyone with the same brush here because I'll get some complaints and emails. But, but you do find the majority of those people come from disadvantaged families, don't they, where they're going there to really either correct some adverse, yeah, to escape, to correct some bad behaviors, or try and make a sort of uh, a better life for themselves. Is that, was that your experience being in the Navy for so long? Is that a sort of a stereotype by me, but maybe a reality that a lot of people in there are from disadvantaged homes and stuff? If that is, I will say that there is some truth to what you are saying. There are a lot of individuals who come into the military to escape unsavory background and to become more, to be given a better opportunity to be more. In my particular case, I was in college at the time when I joined. I joined, I didn't go to the military straight out of high school. I went to college first. And the reason why I ended up in the military was because of one of my friends. It was never on my radar. It was not anything I was interested in. Although I do come from a military background, I was not trying to continue the legacy as I have ended up doing. But when I got into college, my, my particular institution, after me being there three years, lost its accreditation. I had over $30,000 in debt in any school that I was trying to apply to would make me a second semester freshman. At the end of the day, I couldn't afford to continue my college education. So one of my good friends who was in the military at the time in the Marines, he asked me, he's like, have you ever thought about joining the military? And I told him straight up, no. He was like, well, you kind of on the fence with a lot of things, and this might be the most positive way for you to continue and not, you know, fall to the wayside because there were some options out there for me that weren't the most savory options to take because of him taking 
taken a hold of me. It's like, nah, we're going to go and talk to the recruiter and just, just see it, just try it out. And next thing you know, a month later, I'm on my way to boot camp. You're there. You, you, you're in. <laughs> And, and 18 years later, here, here you are. Here, I'm still yeah. here. <laughs> but, and I know that when me and you spoke, and hopefully I've written this down right if you can remember it, but uh-huh. you said to me that for the young recruits or young people joining the service, you're the bridge to who they can become. Yes. Uh, and, and that was yes. really powerful because I'm already, the listeners are hearing this in your own journey, but people have helped you. And then you in the service, you're helping those sort of um, live out the best life that they can be. So I'd love to sort of learn a bit more about your discovery of that and, and your sort of passion to help those other people coming through. Indeed. So yes, I like to say that as leaders, we don't just lead from the front, but we push from the back and we also stand in the gap. And standing in the gap is basically being that bridge. Just like I said with the story with Mrs. Krieger, Mrs. Krieger was my bridge. She was the bridge that got me over to the side of my greater potential. And then when I got into the military, I also had individuals who continued to stand in the gap and push me from the back to reach my greatest potential. One person, another person I think of was my very first chief in the Navy. He basically took his arms and wrapped them around me and said, look, you're going to get it together. This you have a lot of, you got a lot of, potential. For your a lot life, of yeah. people just say you have potential when you yeah. just get it together. Yes. Yeah, like- and so he he did the same thing. I honestly, without him, I would have been put out the military very, very early in my career. But he saw the potential and he did the same thing, pushed and stood in the gap. And I noticed that anytime that I was able to make it over. Whatever circumstance I was dealing with, whatever challenge I was facing, there was somebody who was bridging the gap for me, who was standing there to allow me to walk through them to who I was meant to always be. And I found that that's what I wanted to do for other people. I wanted to show people, especially those who are from backgrounds similar to mine from sectors that are similar to mine to realize that there's so much more out there for you if you just you know take that nudge that's coming from the back and walk across that bridge and if I need to be that bridge for you I'm standing in the gap I love that and it's really common in people's lives where it's hard for us to see the potential but I'm a great believer that you know you truly can be whoever you want to be. And there's an interview that I did with a gentleman called Jesse Awuji. He's one of two African-Americans in NASCAR. I see, actually, you might've heard me. I, I, think, remember. He's in there. I, I, I think I remember that um, interview. And I also think I remember you talking about it one time on Clubhouse. Yeah. And he's, so he's in the Navy as well. So you might have a lot in, in common, but um, you know, from, from where he went to, to where he ended up being a, a NASCAR driver, no one has said you could do this. But he's a great believer of, as am I, is that, you know, you've got to step into these things and you can really be who you want to be. I mean, we're we're very gifted as humans that we can reinvent ourselves. We can, you know, persevere. We can move forward. A lot of species don't have that opportunity. So it's really Mm -hmm. powerful to hear your story and tie it back into what Jesse Wuju said as well about, you know, you you can be what you want to be, even coming from the style of upbringing, you know, Mm -hmm. and adversity that you, you face. So 
let's let's dive right into your book then. So now you've got a book that you've been working on called it called Leading Without Followers. So yes. your time in the Navy, being a senior leader, clearly that had an influence in just in the title of Leading Without Followers. Because again, that's another fantastic name of a book. I'm excited to to read it when it comes out. So tell us a little bit about the book and how it um, what inspired you to to write that book. So leading without followers, it's a name that's going to catch your attention. You're like, what? Leading without followers? Absolutely. Yeah, it does. It does just that. <laughs> but what drove me to even that title and want to write this book is the fact that a lot of times you hear people say, you're not a leader if you don't have a fo- any followers. And I think that is so wrong because at the end of the day, you always have at least one person who's following you that you are you should be aware of. And that's yourself. And in order for you to lead the masses, you have to first learn to lead yourself. And if you learn to lead yourself, then when it comes to building dynamic teams, it's going to be easy because you already pretty much laid the foundation for doing just that, leading those people who are following you. The other piece that I like to put out there and bring bring to light with leading with followers is that there's always somebody looking up to you and at you, looking to see where you're going, where you're heading, and whether they should continue to look up to you and follow you. So even if you don't even see them or recognize them or they don't speak to you and say anything, there is always somebody who is looking at you and following you. How are you going to lead them? Where are you going to lead them to? And if you sit there and you hone these abilities, I actually put them into four different phases where you're First, assessing yourself, and then you start progressing and taking all those assessments to execute them, execute them into a be- being a better leader. Once you've done that, you start leading. And once you start leading, you start winning. Those four phases are exactly what you need to do to help lead those who are following you, help lead those who are watching you, and you don't even realize they're watching. I've had a lot of sailors in in particular sailors who have come back to me even after they've left the military to say thank you to me for being who I was and for just showing up the way I did because it gave them confirmation that it was okay to either a be who they are c or b reach for whatever aspects of life they want to reach for and achieve or c just be <laughs> and uh I just want to honor those individuals by writing this book, Leading Without Followers. So everybody knows that once you take care of leading yourself, the followers are going to come. And Shima, as you were talking, then, my mind was getting distracted because I was imagining you going back <laughs> to your town and people must say, who's this girl? Who, who's this woman? We're like, no, no, that's not the girl that we grew up with. That's not this, you know, it's like, you must be, as we say in England, there must be chalk and cheese compared to how a lot of the people you grew up with must remember you to sort of where you are now. They must think the Queen's turned up when she would come to, because it's just powerful. It's really impacting me what you're saying. It's very powerful about leadership, and it is very true that we have, and even it could just be in our own family, siblings, or, you know, like I've got two young sons. I know that I sometimes catch them looking at me, uh, and maybe I'm not doing necessarily the right thing, but they're always looking at me for guidance uh-huh. and judging what I'm doing. So as you're talking here, I'm, I'm analyzing my own life, thinking, where do I need to get better here and stuff? And 
And I know part of your book, Shima, you say 21 principles to get ready uh-huh. to when a team show up. So this is about sort of preparing for leadership. What's, yep. What are some sort of key takeaways from those, those principles that you've got? So one of the first ones, like I said, the first phase is assessing yourself. So actually having a deep dive conversation with yourself and assessing your mindset for leading. What are you doing when things go wrong and you're dealing with mental stress? What are you doing when you're dealing with your emotional stress? I have, uh, I actually have a coach myself and she likes to talk about emotional intelligence. What, what is your emotional intelligence? What is your level? How you deal with that? How do you deal with your physical stress? Are you taking care of yourself and your own health? A lot of that basic things that you should do to take care of yourself as a person, believe it or not, are the basic things you need to do as a leader to make sure those who are following you are taken care of. If you're not taking care of your mental stresses and your physical ailments and you're not taking care of your emotional well-being, it doesn't give it. They'll be looking at you and see that it's not they almost feel like it's not open for them to take care of those things. Like one of the biggest things is your behavior health. A lot of times in the military, people don't want to go and talk to somebody to get that behavior health and that mental stress addressed. If you as a leader have that, that alignment, you are willing and okay to tell somebody else it's okay to go talk to somebody because you're not feeling 100% yourself. And it doesn't make you less of a leader if you do do those things to take care of yourself. So that's just the first phase, taking care, assessing yourself and taking care of those mental, those physical and those emotional stresses that will come as a leader. And if you can handle them with yourself internally, you can help guide those externally to deal with their own. And a lot of the people that you are working alongside, I don't want to play down anyone in the corporate world here, but you know, when someone's in the service in the military and the Navy, there's a certain element of additional stress and pressure that comes because you're, you're making key decisions which are affecting someone's life. Even you yourself, we were just talking beforehand, but you're on the move again. You know, your life has got to move and change somewhere else. And there, there's quite severe consequences to some of your decisions, even if it's just mm-hmm. moving someone to a different different base and stuff. Yes. Um, but when did leadership start to click for you? I'm assuming it has clicked because you've read this book. <laughs> well, when did leadership start to click where you feel like, okay, maybe I've got this figured out. Maybe I understand how to lead. Maybe I understand how to have empathy in the right time, how to push forward, how to sort of retreat. When, when did it all sort of click for you that you felt like I might have this figured out? My first thank you. Oh, wow. Uh, the, the first time somebody that I was leading, leading, <laughs> I was in a position to lead and I had a position of authority. I was, I, was in a, I was senior to them. So, yeah. I mean, as far as they were concerned, I was leading them. And all I was doing was just pushing them to be who I saw in them. They came back and said, thank you. And their career was almost over in the military until they got with me. And I looked at them and was like, I hear what everybody else is saying, but let's see what you do here. And like I said, that when that happened, they were a very junior person. They were, I want to say, an E2 or E3 in the military. 
and they have now gone on to be just one rank shy of where I am now. So to hear and thank you for them. And then just the continuous thank yous is what motivates me to keep going, is what motivating me to not stop just because my naval career is stopping, especially because you mentioned that in the military, we tend to deal with a little bit more stress and um, our decisions have can have some really uh, heavy consequences to them in comparison to the civilian sector. But the truth of the matter is a lot of the things that we learn here in the military, the discipline of self, the emotional intelligence that just push from the back and be the bridge is the same thing that you can do and should do when you are in the civilian sector in a position of leadership or management or anything like that. A lot of, in the military, we have that upward progression always in our mind. We are not, we are training. We say we train our replacements because the thing is, we don't plan to always be in the position that we are in. We plan to advance. We plan to promote. We plan to go higher. And that is the same thing that should be instilled in those who are in the civilian sector. Train your replacements because your plan is not to stay where you are, but to continuously advance and grow and uh, develop. And I'll smile a little bit there because I think in the corporate world, sometimes here in America, if you train someone so well, you're thinking, hey, are they going to start taking my job sometime? But, um, you know, I think you've got to be nice to people on the way up because they'll be nice to you on the way down. Oh, yeah. you know? mm-hmm. a, lot, a lot of these people that we do train end up being high us. And it was the same with me and the police in England. There's so many people that sort of far eclipse my career, but it's, it's always nice to have a friendly with someone up there that can help you from, from time to time. So, so, you know, as we sort of start to bring our conversation to a close, I'd love to hear from your life before the Navy um, your time in the Navy to becoming an author with your book, Leading Without Followers, what's the biggest self-discovery that you've made about yourself throughout your life? What's the biggest thing you've learned about yourself? I would say probably the biggest thing that I've learned about myself is how resilient I am. A lot of times people talk about strength and being strong, but I found that I have that bounce back. Uh, in my career, even I've had situations where I, I almost left the military. When I went to Iraq, I have had some leadership in this. It's another reason why I want to stay in because I want to counter the leadership that's not so great. I had leadership that wasn't that great to me and put me in a peculiar situation where my career was on the line and being put in question. And people who didn't know me well could only go by what these individuals were saying about me. And if I didn't take the time to fight what they were saying about me as untruths, I wouldn't be here right now. I wouldn't be in the military right now. I wouldn't be continued to do what I do. So I've learned that despite any challenge that does come my way, not always do I have somebody who is supporting me. And when those individuals when I do have a situation where I don't have an individual like that, I still have myself. I'm that resilient. I can bounce back. I can make it through. I can overcome. And that's a great word, resilient. I've seen that throughout the stories that you've told. And then the second question then, what is that one piece of advice that you would give to someone about life that you've learned? So as you look back across your life, what's the one piece of advice that you would give Um, To anyone that would listen, what what would you say to them? What's the key to life, Shima? 
So the key to life, and I've been pushing this as to as many ears that will listen. And it has to do with that whole being strong versus being resilient. A lot of times people like to say that we are strong. And I would say we're so much more than that. We are resilient. We are resilient people. We know how to rise above any circumstance that's handed to us. We handle the pressures of society so well because we are diamonds, not never tough diamonds, but just you never rough diamonds, but just tough. We we're just waiting for somebody to shine us up and let us be great. So I just want you to know and those who are listening to know to know your worth and lead with it. Just know how resilient you are and that your true impact is in that resilience. And uh, you'll be influencing the masses before you know it. Well, this has been an inspirational conversation and um most probably after episodes there occasionally i'll go back and listen to them i don't listen to all the conversations back because i've lived it but i know this conversation i'm going to go back and take notes because you've said some really impactful things that have touched on on my heart as well so really grateful for you spending time with me and sharing your your wisdom and sort of letting us into into your life so I do want to mention your book. I know there's been a couple of issues with the, the publishers as to when it's going to come out, but it's it's definitely going to be called Leading Without Followers. And so I will link it to the show notes whenever you release it. But I'm grateful for the time that we got to spend together. So before we go, where can people find you now? I know the book is coming out, but what's the best way for people to find your stuff now? Well, right now I do. I am a part of another book, a book collaboration. It's called The Eight Qualities of the Exceptional Black Woman in business and entrepreneurship. I actually talk about impact. That's a long book title, that one is. <laughs> it really is. That's a long book title. That's why I just call it the eight qualities. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, that is another book that I am a part of. Uh, where I can be found, you can find me at shimab.com and also on all the social medias, I am shimab. That is I-A-M-S-H-E-E-M-A-B. I'm going to make it similar, simple for you. All your social medias, I will link in the show notes and, <laughs> and the book as well. The very long book title. We'll put that one in Just there as well. Just go to com and it will give you all of that. Everything you Links need. to everything. <laughs> Well, Shima, it's been a great conversation with you. I've really enjoyed it. And um, maybe um, maybe this isn't the end. Maybe when the book comes out, I'd love to read it and then get you back in and dive into some more because you've got a lot of great lessons on leadership there that can help people. So um, I look forward to the book coming out. But for now, really, I um, had a lot of fun. And so it's been an honor and a privilege to talk to you and look forward to talking to you again sometime soon. Thank you for joining the Who I Became podcast. To help spread this inspiring story, be sure to share it with your friends, hit the like button, and of course, subscribe to our channel so you won't miss out on any future episodes. We'd also love to hear how this story impacted you. So leave us a comment on whatever platform you're watching us from. To learn more about this episode, our guests, or Simon, head over to simonosimo slash podcast and sign up to receive the latest information delivered straight to your inbox. Once again, thank you for joining us for the Who I Became podcast.